What's going on, fam? Alex Linsky here for the Get More Client Show. As always, joined by my co-host, head coach of Prospecting on Demand, Brian Downard. How you doing, buddy? I'm good, but it's not as always. You kind of left me hanging last week a little bit, but that's okay. I don't, I don't always have to be here, but it's wow. not as always anymore. Wow. Saying, saying that I left him hanging, even though I was the one that did yes. the show with Dave and Brian did not show up. Yes. Okay, audience, I would love to know who left who hanging in that scenario. The guy who did the interview in the show my schedule. as contracted or the person that did it. Hmm. Who left who hanging? Hmm. Anyways, guys, Brian's clearly not living the dream today, so I'll speak it for him today. Uh, we're going to talk about offers uh, and how to crush your competition um, like the weasels that they are. I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, we're going to break down two really important things today. The seven step formula to creating an irresistible offer and how to optimize your offers because optimizing offers is key. We talk about this a lot. Experience is not enough. Evaluated experience is what you want. Losing clients sucks, but it's part of the game. When you lose a client, we can optimize, grow, and build from there. We're going to talk about how to actually create an irresistible offer in the front end and how to optimize one as well. What I would also like to cover uh, just at the front end of this meeting um, is some of the like stuff that we're seeing in the agency space for offers um, that I think will be valuable to just consider like the SaaS product or PPL or pay for performance or retainer. I'm seeing ads out there, which are like sensationalized, obviously, but it's like the retainer model is dead. That is horse malarkey. That is absolutely not the case. Of course, the retainer model is not dead. That's not the case at all. But those are the three main models for offers that we see I'm sure there's many other ones, but those are kind of the main three SaaS, PPL, pay per performance or pay per appointment. Like those are kind of the same. And then retainer. Is there anything, Brian, you want to jump in on regarding those three elements of offers before we dive into the formula itself? Uh, yeah, thank you. So I would say start high ticket retainer first if you're sort of getting to figuring it out because. The PPL model, pay per performance, you really have to get a solid understanding of what your numbers are in terms of what you need to pay to generate a lead, what value is to your end client. There's a lot of variables that you don't want to just start with, in my opinion. Uh, start with the retainer model. And I would say avoid the SaaS model too. I know the idea is sexy to um, like have a bunch of people paying you a little bit of money. Like, oh, I don't have to do a lot of work. People who pay the least expect the most and you don't have any, I'm sure you can't even fathom how many technical support questions you will get through having a SaaS unless you have that white labeled out, which you should. My point is though, let's say you're charging $300 a month for your SaaS. How many clients do you need? I'm not gonna actually do the math here, but to get to that $100,000 or whatever number you wanna hit per month, selling high ticket retainers will get you to those numbers quicker and allow you to have the money to reinvest in other things like SaaS and learning the PPL model. Just my opinion. Sure. Yeah, I totally agree. I think SaaS right now is the biggest shiny object in the space. And don't get me wrong, Brian and I have been pounding the table for GHL since the inception of the service. They sponsored our POD live event we spoke about in the pre-show. Uh, if you don't get to watch the pre-show, we do this show live on our Facebook group, Seven Figure Culture. Always feel free to join us. Um, and basically, you know, we love Go High Level, but the idea of trying to build this like $300 or $500 SaaS product because it's easier for client reactivation and Google My Business, that's great. We, we love those ideas. It's just, it's not as easy as you think it is. Um, if you're like a tech wizard and you've already got it figured out and you've bought one of these courses from the people out there and it's good, awesome. We love it. But just try to avoid the shiny objects. You don't have to jump on the bandwagon for every single thing. Remember Clubhouse and how big that was like five months ago? Who's talking about Clubhouse now? 
who's excited about Clubhouse right now? You got like the one audience member, Brian, like me, I like Clubhouse still. You don't have to jump on the bandwagon. Don't like just listen to sensationalized ads that are telling you retainer model or pay for performance model are dead. That's certainly not the case. Um, and we don't want you thinking that. So that was our little spiel at the top. Um, let's dive actually right into the seven step formula. Now, if you're in our Facebook group, we drop this as one of our assets that we're giving away for you. This is the same thing that we provide to our clients that are paying us thousands of dollars in POD. We talk about this all the time, like information is not the thing that's missing. It's accountability, resourcefulness, actual support, auditing of sales calls, et cetera. We're not here to pitch POD. It's just the idea. Some people say, why are you giving this away if, if people are buying it? You can find anything you want online. You can go search irresistible offer and find a crap load of information. So it's not like, uh, you know, we're giving you the kitchen sink. You got to implement it, which is the key. So here's the seven steps. Number one is the pain. Now, this is the obvious one, right? Like for anything in sales, you have to understand there's some sort of pain. And if you can provide a solution in your offer, then you can make an effective sale. So what are the problems that they are dealing with for your avatar? We've spoken about this many times before about the importance of niching and sub-niching and why it's valuable. We're not going to really dive into that today. But if you don't have a specific niche, this is where the offer positioning becomes really challenging because the pains are very different for each person. Now you want to go from bland pain to like something very specific. So like a bland pain would be like, they need better marketing. Well, yeah, no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> I think the bigger pain is that they do not have predictable uh, lead generation for enough patients per month to make sure that they can hire another doctor in order to free up their time so they can spend more time with their family. Like that's a very specific pain. We want to get clarity on that. Number two is the Ascension promise. The Ascension promise is the solution where you're taking them, something very deliberate. A lot of people, when they're making an offer, they're going to focus in the sales process of like the recipe. So they're like, we're going to get mashed potatoes and we're going to get green beans and we're going to put the oven to 450 and we're going to whip the eggs. And, and you're like, wait, what are we even making? And we're like, oh, beef wellington. I forgot to mention that. It's like, oh, I don't even like beef wellington. I don't, I don't want that. What is the promise, right? Your promise needs to be, I'm going to give you 10 guaranteed appointments, or I'm going to get you 15 new home buyer leads, or I'm going to provide you five-star quality uh, patients, et cetera. Like those things are really valuable to consider. Um, is there anything else you want to add to the Ascension promise, Brian? Yeah, I think this is the most important piece of your offer because so many of us want to sell the features of what we do, Facebook ads, um, you know, SEO, go high level. We get so excited about the technical stuff. Like, look at us, we're going to automate your contacts and we're going to use these. Like, they don't care. What is the no. outcome it's going to produce for them? How's it going to change their life? How much money is it going to make them? How much time is it going to save them? And a lot of these things, if you don't know the answers to them, aren't going to be discovered in a vacuum or listening to these videos. It's going to be had through actually speaking with the people in your audience. What do they want as a result of what you do for them? Maybe they don't want more money right now. Maybe they want time optimization because they have enough money. You really have to understand who you're serving and make sure you're Ascension Promise is in alignment with that. And sure. I want to also separate real quickly Ascension Promise versus Guarantee. Ascension Promise is where you ideally want to take them and your campaign goal. The guarantee is what you are literally going to guarantee. Now, I don't want to go too deep on guarantees. We talked about it before on the show. Don't do money back guarantee. Do a result guarantee where you're, you will work for free. I would say at a max of 14 days. Don't do any longer than that to get the result if you don't get it. Um, so let's say you guarantee five leads, you get four, you work for the next 14 days until you get that fifth lead. Then the next stage of their billing cycle starts. They are responsible for ad spend, you are not. Now, if you're not confident though in doing that, 
Don't do that. Don't have the guarantee. Just have the Ascension promise. Um, one of our clients right now, their Ascension promise, I'm going to paraphrase here a little bit, but it's 20 booked appointments, right? But the guarantee is 50 leads. We're not going to guarantee we can actually get the booked appointments. Our intention is to try and get that for you. But as a risk mitigation, we're going to get you 50 leads for sure. And this client knows in his sleep, he can get 100 leads a month, no problem. I also think another really interesting thing you should be doing for if you do have an Ascension promise or a guarantee, don't force yourself to put it in a 30-day time frame. Put it into a 90-day time frame. So yes. instead of saying 30 leads in 30 days, do 90 leads in 90 days because you could have a bad month. You could have an amazing month. It could be Christmas, December. Like you need to not force or force yourself to have to achieve a certain result in that small time frame, or a lot of the times you will have to enact a guarantee and work for free. So just wanted to make some nuanced uh, points to that. Cause I think it's so critical. You need to focus on that when you're making your presentation and not on the shit that you do. Super valuable insight there, Brian, on the idea of making sure you're committing them to a long-term investment. Uh, one of the things I just want to tangent on this for one second, a lot of people have a hard time getting someone to commit past a month um, due to some sort of like fear of like, oh my God, I, I can't sell if I'm having them do three months up front. One, you don't have to have them pay in full up front. They can still commit to three months in a contract and then pay you for the three months separately. There's two things to consider here. Number one, if you're worried about the pricing, you can tell them how much you're, they're spending per day on Facebook and then use your pricing separately. So it seems like smaller numbers, that's one. And then number two, use their business model as an advantage to turn the tables on them of how long the process takes. So for example, if they are a fitness professional and you're telling them that you need three months of their time are three months of commitment in order to generate them, you know, 20 new uh, gym members, like, oh, no, like, I only want to do it for one month. And I want 20 members. It's like, okay, well, what if I came to your gym? And I'm like, I want to lose 20 pounds. And like, it's going to take three months. And I'm like, I want to do it in two weeks. Like, we can't do that. Stop so, eating food. Yeah, stop, cut your arm off. So the way we do it to use their business as a, as an advantage to turn the tables. All right. So again, number one pain, number two solution or Ascension promise is what we call it. Number three is now the result, the benefit, the feature, what will the customers receive that are tangible and intangible? You try to limit this to three to five things. The more recipe elements that you include, uh, the more ingredients that you include, the harder it becomes to really understand the value. Remember, the third thing, these results, this benefit, this feature, these elements together, they make up what the promise is, right? So you show them on your behalf, like, hey, this is not a hoping and praying that we get this ascension promise. These are the ways, the recipe to us doing it, but we'll do it for you. It's on us to do so it for you. Again, really like bad. ascension promise outcome, these things, the tangible deliverables they get, right? The things they will receive, access to a CRM, et cetera. Love that. But again, awesome. I would try and I would try and cut out as much, you know, buzzwords and like that yes. fancy yes. stuff as much as you can, because it's like explain it like you're going to be explaining it to a child because they don't understand it like you do. And if you confuse them, a confused mind does not make decisions. Yes. Number four is the value, right? So this is going to be where you have any risk reversal, guarantee your investment price. This is risk mitigation, ideally, right? Where you're explaining, do you see the value of the service? Do you want this service? Do you have any questions about this service? Those are the things that will allow you to get clarity of saying, I want this. It's really important in sales. And I shared this on the one call close training a few weeks back that you get confirmation that they want the service before you tell them the price of the service. That's when then you tell them the price. So it's like, hey, this is how we did it. This is the ROI positioning. This is the risk reversal. This is our risk mitigation through the guarantee. And this is our proof that we've done it multiple times before. Do you want this? 
yeah, Alex, I want this. What's the price? Okay, cool. So you want this? Awesome. Here's the investment. That's the clarity that you want. Number five is going to be positioning, right? This is where you build trust, where you have authority, the LKT factor, like, know, and trust factor, where you have social proof, right? Again, in our sales training the other day, we did that psychological training of the PAC, the parent, the adult, and the child. This is overcoming the parent concern, the skepticism, having positioning that you're the expert. This is also where a Facebook profile comes in. This is also where making sure you have a good website comes in. The problem is people get too attached to this and then they want to like, do a bunch of whole bells and whistles on every single thing. You don't have to have those things. It's just considering that you have effective positioning. Number six is your sales strategy, the audience targeting, your price anchoring, the urgency or scarcity, whether you're doing exclusivity or not, or if you're pricing out for certain different models for the type of niche, or if they have multiple locations, what is your sales strategy specific to this offer? And then of course, the last element of everything we do is seven, as you know, uh, is the objection handling, right? What are the five main objections that you will deal with and you know how to overcome? I'll give you a quick note. If you are in our Facebook group and you're struggling with any objections at any time, always feel free to drop them in our group. And I will personally shoot you a Loom video on how to handle it. So you don't have to worry about it because you need to know what objections will come so you can handle them prior to them coming and know how to handle them when they're asked of you. So I'm going to recap the seven steps for you. And then we're going to talk about optimization, unless Brian wants to add anything else, which is number one, the pain. Number two, the ascension promise. Number three, the results, the benefit, the feature. Number four, the value, so risk reversal. Number five, your positioning. Number six, the sales strategy for targeting. Number seven is objection handling. Those are the seven elements to the irresistible offer. If you want the irresistible offer sheet that we've provided, go to our Facebook group. There's a two-step post in there that says, hey, if you want access to this seven-step sheet, drop a me below and we'll happily send it over to you. And then we will happily get on a call with you to have you join us in our POD community. So that is the seven steps of the irresistible offer. Brian, why don't we talk about now, once we have an offer, how do we optimize an offer? Nice, I'm excited for this, cool. So a lot of times the sexy conversation is acquiring clients, sales, making more money, but how you truly make more money is retaining the clients you actually have, not letting them just go out the back door. So I think committing to making your offer better and not just throwing your shoulders up when people leave is a critical part of growing your business. And it's not fun. It's uncomfortable. Frankly, last Friday, we did this with the team and had a meeting yesterday. That was also not very fun. We had to do a serious hard look at the people who had left the program and ask ourselves, what if we took radical ownership and optimized our offer to make it better for the next person who might be like this so they don't have the same experience? And it's not fun. It's time consuming. It's tedious, but it's a requirement you want to retain and truly deliver value for your clients. So what I want to say is before, this is sort of like, you got to have the offer. Now we're talking about optimizing the offer, but there's a big middle piece that we're missing. I would say, take the formula that Alex gave you, create a version one, or let's say version two of your offer. If you already have something that's workable, don't just throw that out the window, take what we're saying, make that better and be okay with the first version or draft of it. And then like I shared earlier, you need to put it out into the wild. You need to put it into the real world and test it, sell it to people, get their feedback. Do they like it? Do they not like it? Do they want more? Do they want less? How, and like that feedback will give you what you need to actually make the offer better. And in practice, when you sell it, when you don't sell it, when you lose clients, when you keep clients, all of this data, which we're gonna break down some ways you can actually dig these uh, golden nuggets up and use them. Um, this is critical to the long-term 
uh, scalability of your company. So you stack revenue and you don't just replace it with new clients every month because people are leaving out the back door. Last quick comment on this sort of just a food for thought. You need to supply demand, don't create it. Just because you're good at something doesn't mean that's what your clients necessarily want. If you're like, oh, I'm good at design or like I can do websites really well or I'm great at Facebook ads, like that doesn't mean your clients necessarily need that. Again, don't create the offer based on what you are good at. Pick the audience you want to serve and design the solution that best gets them what they want. Because if you were trying to fit a round peg into a square hole, like I'm just going to go sell logo services to, you know, I don't know, medical laboratories who don't give a shit about their logo because they make billions of dollars anyways, like there's going to be a mismatch. So just take these considerations in and let's talk about some of the finer points and elements from our, um, what we call client retention and lifetime value optimization SOP. It's a mouthful for sure, but I'm going to break down some of my favorite elements from this. And this is again, doing a self audit of the current clients you have in your offer to see how we can actually make it better. So let's talk about one of the first elements that's important to me. I would say compiling all of the actual things you use to execute your offer is the first step. Do an overhaul of the fulfillment SOPs. What is your pipeline for tracking clients look like? What does your communication schedule look like? What does your reporting agenda look like? Compile all these things, or if you're just making these things up and shooting from the hip, that is not how you wanna do this. You need to take these elements we're talking about. When do you communicate? When do you report? How do you fulfill the offer so you can get it off your plate eventually and give it to someone else to execute these elements you need to start compiling. And if you have pieces of them, optimize them through some of the things we're going to talk about now. So one of the first questions I want you to ask yourself is how are you internally reviewing client success? We do three calls a week, uh, two mini calls on Monday and Friday, and one big two-hour call in the middle of the week on Wednesday to talk client success. And this is where our head coaches and ancillary team members communicate to each other on where all the clients are at any given time, what they need support with, and then are given marching orders on how to go support them. So we're not just asking ourselves like, oh, I wonder how everyone's doing. I hope they're being supported. No, you are intentional about it. So ask yourself, how are you internally and how often are you internally reviewing client success with your team and making the appropriate adjustments to how you are serving them? Or are you shooting from the hip? That's number one. And these aren't going to be in a specific, I'm going to say number one, but not literally in a specific order. I just want to pick some of the more important pieces from this SOP. Now, the next part of this is I would love for you to look at your um, longest retained clients. Pick two or three of your longest retained clients versus the uh, couple of clients you only retained for one payment. Um, looking at those two in contrast are going to be very important. And Alex, if you want to maybe hop in here and share a couple of like, you can go nitty gritty in a little more detail um, about how you can sort of look at those two contrasting types of clients and how to pull good data from that. Yeah, I love that. I, it's, it's hard, right? It becomes very subjective or objective or even emotional for a lot of people. One of the things that we always talk about, and I said this earlier in the show, is evaluated experience is not enough, right? It, or sorry, experience is not enough. Evaluated experience is key. Like, so if you need to understand the difference between why a client canceled and why a client retained, how can you ensure you're optimizing your offer as you grow? One of the things to consider is, are you asking, 
right? Brian mentioned this a few shows ago about like most of your problems are probably about the reality that you're not having the difficult conversations. This is a difficult conversation when someone wants to leave or has decided already that they're leaving. Can you get feedback from them on why they left, on what you did not or did provide? I think these elements are really key to understand. When clients are retaining with you long-term, when you have clients that are way above your average KPI, so the clients at six months, nine months, 12 months, 20 months, people that are working with you for a long time, why are they working with you so long? Don't be afraid to ask that question. I think a lot of people, Brian, are legitimately afraid to ask that because then the person or the client's, client's going to le- like think, oh my God, yeah, why am I working with you so long? It, it doesn't happen that way, right? There is a probably a oh, specific man. reason why. And I think this is really key to understanding. First thing you need to do is do your own audit, identifying, hey, these are the clients that have left in quarter three of our company. These are the reasons we have. The problem is when your reasons are mostly blaming the client, that's where you don't learn anything. You can have reasons that you believe they left, but for you, what could you have learned? So let's use a common example. The client didn't follow up with their leads. So they said that the lead quality was bad and then they didn't close any new business. And then we didn't get an ROI for them. And then they left us and they got mad and maybe they even did a chargeback, right? And it becomes all emotional and frustrating and everything. So you can say, oh, blame them. They didn't do their job. What about you holding them accountable to doing that job? What about you creating a comprehensive solution where you have ISA individual sales agent call and do appointment setting for them so they don't have to do the follow-up and increase your price that way? What if you took radical ownership of it and said, instead of blaming them for not doing the follow-up, what can I learn so it doesn't happen again? Because the definition of sanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. And here's the reality. If one client does it, many more clients will, especially with this follow-up problem, which is you know, permeating through the entire industry in every single niche. One of the valuable things that Brian and I have insight into is because we work with about 60 agencies currently on an ongoing basis every single month in how many niches, Brian, like 15, 25, something like that. All the niches, basically, obviously there's some like very unique ones we don't work with, but like most of the standard agencies, they're all the same problems not following up appropriately, not attributing success, not uh, reporting correctly. So how can you hold them accountable? Identifying the key factors are so important, but I I really want to make sure um, that you're implementing this process. Like why are your clients retaining with you and why are your clients leaving you? Not in a blame and not, and making sure you're taking ownership. Those elements are absolutely key. And then just taking that data and acting on it, right? So how will you actually optimize your offer based on the factors that of why they're canceling or why they're retaining? Are you going to double down on the reasons why they are retaining? If you're, again, Alex said, if you're just continuously doing the same shit, you're going to stay stuck and wondering like, why can't I scale? Because you keep doing the same shit. You need to get better. And I think another interesting point, like people talk about wanting to pivot a lot in the program. It's like, we challenge you, don't pivot, get better. It's difficult in any niche. The grass is always green. We're not going to go down that path. We've talked about it before on, a lot in this show, but people look elsewhere like, oh, it's going to be so much easier. No, it's going to be different problems. So okay. accept that they're going to be challenges and go all out on them because this is what it's going to take to be an entrepreneur and be successful. We don't For sure. on this a lot. It's going to be fucking hard. So get used to it. Um, you can tell I'm a little fiery from this week of being difficult as well. Um, so yeah, I, I love this idea, Alex, where you were saying like clients complaining, like lead quality being bad or like this fear of like hiding from not wanting to have the conversation because they'll ask, why am I paying you? I had that a lot in my early agency days. And it's because 
I would just do random stuff for a price and I wouldn't have, it wouldn't be attached to any specific outcome. It was like, oh yeah, make us more money or just, you know, I want more cl clients and customers. Like, okay, I can do that for you. So I'll do your website. I'll post on social media. I'll try SEO. I'll try Facebook ads. I don't really know what I'm doing. And then like you have this fear of, of obviously you're not providing a result. So this concept I brought up before, but it's so critical of overcompensating versus over-delivering. I think it's important you strive to over-deliver for your clients, but don't let that mean you're overcompensating because you don't truly know what you're bringing to the table in terms of value or your promise isn't being met that you made initially. So you start just doing random other shit that takes up more of your time, gets you further away from the result and you still lose the client. So please take that to heart. It's very, very important to me. Love that. So a couple more pieces here. We uh, talked a little bit about how you are actually communicating internally with your team and how often you're doing that. How often are you communicating with clients? How often are you having calls with them? Are you doing a red, green, yellow audit call at least once a month and then quarterly for your more um, long lasting legacy clients to make sure they actually are happy asking the question you don't want to ask and getting on that scale of are they red probably one foot out the door about to leave or are they yellow like kind of shaky need support or are they green in good standing and to be frank you should know that before walking into these meetings but they're helpful to at least get the validation from the client so you are certain and not just hoping for what the answer is you think and think, oh, they're great. When in reality, they're not. Because it happens very often, especially when you scale, you think a client's doing well and you have a conversation, you realize they're not. So you gotta stay on top of this and have the repeatable systems to remind yourself and your team to be in communication consistently with clients and remind them it's your burden, not theirs to do this. A lot of people are like, oh, but you're Absolutely. so busy and you have so many clients. They're paying you for your service. Flip that around. No, this is our burden to support you. Like, don't worry about that shit. Um, and again, you do that. That's a way you over deliver in through actions and words, not just by saying it. So a couple more items I want to cover on here before we wrap this up. Um, as you are looking at the different types of offers you are selling, you're getting feedback. What opportunities are there to not only optimize the current offer as it stands, but add on additional things that they're asking for. If you're constantly hearing a client ask for a certain thing, like we need social media management or we need this or that, like don't just be reactive, like I said, to do it whenever they ask, but identify trends and themes. So you're saying, hey, I'm seeing this a lot. This is an important thing I need to add on to my offer. Or if you're constantly on sales calls and you're talking to people who maybe need more of a downsell or something that makes better sense for them, have these considerations of how you can stretch out your value ladder to serve those people. Don't be reactive to everything you hear and just do what they say, but be smart and identify the themes and trends. That's the critical yeah. part here. And then add those to the offer over time. Don't just do it as they're asked. You're not like... Um, the analogy I've been using and it's not perfect is you want to be the really high end restaurant with like five things on the menu. And it's like, what do you want? We're not doing any deviations from this. No substitutions, nothing like this is what it is. Or the grocery store. That's like, here's a bunch of random ingredients. Good luck making something tasty. Go pick it out. And you're like, yeah, yeah, this, 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 like what the hell did I just make? So that's a little bit of a shitty metaphor, but I'm going to go with it. Um, and I hope you guys got a lot of value from the show because making your offer better is going to ultimately be how you scale and um, make your competition irrelevant when you're on sales calls. Love that. Really good show today, guys. Really sincerely hope you enjoyed it. Please go ahead and implement this. It's really key. Write down those seven steps. Consider the things Brian are talking about for optimization of your offer and utilize this for your success. 
If you are watching us on the Facebook page, we'll always answer questions after the show is completed. If you are watching this on replay on YouTube or you're on our favorite podcast apps, please give us a like or a love or subscribe. Helps us a ton. We will see you on the next one. All right, so I ended the uh, recording, but I'm keeping us on uh, Facebook because there's a couple questions here that we will answer for Lenny and Brad Marchese, um, or Cheesy, I don't know how to say his name, sorry. Um, so Lenny said, what do you think of delaying the guarantee payout net 30 or 90 to use that as your safety net? So Lenny, that, that's totally fine. You have guarantee conditions in your service level agreement. So in your service level agreement, you'll, you'll clearly state or clarify um, exactly what's going on um, step by step uh, with what conditions they need to meet in order to hit that goal. And then that you're not going to give the money back, but you're going to work until the investment is made. So uh, that's a pretty simple model. When you say delaying the guarantee payout, I don't know what you mean by payout. You're not paying them back. So I want to make sure that's clear. No money back guarantees. That's not a model. Um, he also said, say you'd role play. How I'll take that have... one. I read that one. I like this one. Okay. So basically, like, how would you role play with a dentist for them to come up with an offer, right? So to me, it's di dissecting what have they paid for in the past that's worked? What have they paid for in the past that doesn't work? What do they want as an ideal outcome from your offer? I think those are the easiest first three things to start with. And then you can, I would, in my opinion, you need to sort of based on your expertise, take some of that with a grain of salt, because sometimes when people say they uh, want or um, need, they don't actually actually necessarily need that, right? Um, so you have to be the expert in some instances and know through research, through just being good at your freaking job, actually do being in the industry, what does work and guiding them down a path. But to me, it's, it's those things. What have you paid that's worked? What have you paid for that doesn't? What are the outcomes you're hoping for? And then designing the offer around that. Love that. I think that's great. Um, if you guys have any other questions, you can drop them below. If not, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. If you can hit that like or love button, helps us a ton. Hope you enjoyed the show. Um, we do a little pre-show and just chill and then a little post-show uh, giving you what you need. Um, other than that, I will see you guys on the next one. See y'all.